Beloved Church of God, beginning our service before God, let us stand and affirm the promise that relates to the door of our hope. Let the resurrection of Christ reign in our bodies. Let us bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we are grateful to your holy name for this privilege to be in this place that your hand has outlined for the worship of your holy name. And so allow your inheritance in the name of the covenant of blood to be lifted to unreachable heights to us and to break all evil and sin that binds us. May in this service be cursed, as before, all the works of devil, illnesses, poverty, premature death, demonic dependencies, all forms of fears, depression, destruction, covetousness, ignorance, all of this. Let it depart from the tents of your holy nation and stand, Lord, in the place of your rest, you and the ark of your greatness, and may your saints be clothed in your salvation, and may they rejoice before your countenance. Give us more from your Spirit. Fill us with your Holy Spirit and allow us to find your holy countenance. May the service be presented into your divine arms. Guide it with your uplifted hand. Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. May the Lord bless you. You may be seated. Before we continue to submerge into the unsearchable depths of our inheritance, the unchanging epigraph of our study of these <clears throat> godly depths is the book of Luke 24:44. Then Jesus said to his disciples, These are the things that I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms. Saying these words, Jesus began to rise and the cloud took him from the uh, vision of, of the disciples. These were his last words before he left the disciples and told them for them to wait for the Holy Spirit so that they be in Jerusalem and that they gather there and wait for the Holy Spirit that will come and remind them of everything that he told them and will fill them with his power. When the Holy Spirit came down in the day of the Pentecost, this was the time when God breathed in life into his church, just as when he created Adam, but he did not yet have spiritual life in him yet. Yes, he was created by God, and it is written that he breathed into the face and add into man and Adam became a living being. At this time, the new church did not yet exist. It became significant and had purpose when the Holy Spirit finally came down. The Holy Spirit took what Jesus had done and breathed what Jesus had made had done and breathed it into his disciples and they began to be called the church. 
so that we as the participants of the body of Christ would share with Christ the fulfillment of all that is written about him in scripture, we will, co- we will continue to study our collaboration with the truth of the word of God and the Holy Spirit, who reveals the truth in the heart, what we need to do from our side so that we can receive the right to the power to put off our former way of life, so that we can clothe our bodies into a new way of life. This is the first purpose of the Heavenly Father. This was his purpose. When he breathed life into Adam, he had the intention to live in Adam and to make Adam his house. And the second Adam, the Lord from from heaven, became the house of God. And only in Him are we able to be His house. Only in Jesus Christ and only with Jesus Christ are we able to receive everything that God had given Him. To put off your old self, when it comes to your former way of life, you put off your former way of life, your old self, which has been corrupted by its deceitful lusts. To be to be made new then by the spirit of your mind and then put on the new self created by God in true righteousness and holiness. Ephesians 4, 22 through 22, 22 through 24. And to fulfill these three destiny impacting, commanding and fundamental acts, we will determine whether we transform ourselves into vessels of mercy or vessels of wrath. And we know here that to fulfill these given commandments, we need to put off our former way of life, renew our mind, and put on the new self. And so, when we transform ourselves into vessels of mercy or vessels of wrath, we more specifically need to confirm if our salvation will happen that is given to us in the format of a seed that identifies the guarantee of our justification or will it not, which is why then our names will forever be blotted out of the book of life when they were written there when we made our covenant with God. In Colossians it is also written and there's other places that talk about this and so this is the calling of every holy person that has come to God. If this person will not comprehend that his calling is to put off for his former way of life so that he can renew with the spirit of his mind And so if we will not comprehend that this is our calling, our names will be blotted out of the book of life. Our calling is not to call people from this world to God. Our calling is to cast off of ourselves our old man, renew our mind, and then begin the process of clothing ourselves into our new person. As soon as we begin to clothe ourselves into the new person, we become a light to the world, and every one of us becomes a living gospel that brings men to himself. This is what evangelism is. This is the evangelism that Christ had when he said, you are a light to the world. And so people that... Uh, finish courses and they send them to evangelize or they send themselves being inspired by the flesh they think the Holy Spirit inspired them this is the flesh that inspires them a person can't be sent by God until 
he does not cast off the old man from himself, will not renew his mind, and will not begin the process of clothing himself into the new person, which is possible only upon one unchanging condition, that is to find the good wife that has the narrow gate. Only from the position of this wife is he able to become this way and become the light to the world. And so in a specific format, we already looked at the process contained in the first two requirements and stopped to study the process of the third requirement and specifically what conditions we need to fulfill so that by the means of an already renewed mind, we can begin the process of clothing ourselves into the power of the glory of our new person that is created according to God in Christ Jesus in righteousness and holy truth. Relevant to this, we stop to study the allegory contained in the 18th Psalm of David where the Holy Spirit, with the wisdom and authority that He alone has, reveals the demands according to which we are called to collaborate our faith prayer with the name of God El Elyon or God Most High. And in this psalm, David turns to God and calls Him El Elyon, which in Hebrew El El Elyon, this is Most High. And this condition consists in this, that in the situation we experience uh, the tight situation as David experienced as he was casting off the old man with his deeds and we also experience this this tight situation we're in uh, putting off our old man we can call upon the Most High as to our God and proclaim the faith of our hearts stating who God is to us who God is to us in Jesus Christ what God has done for us in Jesus Christ who we are to God in Jesus Christ what we need to do so that we can inherit all that God has done for us in Jesus Christ. First, we fulfill our part. We we fulfill our part of the agreement that we made with God. And when we fulfill our part of the agreement, then God will fulfill His part, honor His part of the agreement. Our part of the agreement is casting off of ourselves our old man, renewing our mind, and begin the process of clothing ourselves into our new person. In other words, call the non-existent stronghold of life in your body as existent, then God will be able to come and do that work, fulfill that promise. The given allegory is one of the most powerful and voluminous examples, the most powerful and voluminous examples demonstrating the collaboration of our renewed mind as King David with the name of God Most High and their violent conflict with our carnal mind in the form of King Saul and with governing sin as our old person with his deeds. This psalm begins this way. David wrote it when God delivered him from all of his enemies and the hands of Saul. And it is by the means of confessing the faith of God that is concealed within our heart, consisting of who God is to us in Jesus Christ, what God has done for us in Jesus Christ, who we are to God in Jesus Christ, and what we need to do to inherit all that God has done for us in Jesus Christ. God can receive the proper basis that He needs to shame governing sin in our body by the power of His redemption and with noise, Forever, forever with noise, with his crushing power, he can thrust him out into hell. Therefore, in its character, the Psalm of David contains three parts where we see demonstrated an example of the character of our legitimate prayer, which belongs to kings, priests, and prophets. If we don't have the virtue of a king, priest, and prophet, it will be difficult for us to understand this word because it is given to kings, priests, and prophets. 
this is why there's not a lot of us because kings and priests and prophets there's never a lot of them first part identifies the state of the heart of David as a warrior in prayer our heart also <clears throat> which is the required basis for the legitimate status of this prayer belonging to kings priests and prophets because we are looking at when we're looking at David we are seeing our new person second part opens up the consistency of legitimate prayer itself which belongs to kings priests and prophets which gives God the proper basis to to deliver us in the form of David or in his image from the hands of all of our enemies David means beloved by God and we are beloved by God which is why I always uh, that's why I always say beloved by God church third part illustrates the prayer battle itself in an epic genre which is beyond the limitations of the typical human mind of man within the boundaries allowed by God we already looked at the first part and stopped to look at the second part which opens up the consistency of legitimate prayer in the eight names of God Most High or God El Elyon getting to know and confessing the power that is contained in the heart of David in the eight names of God allowed David to love and call upon the Lord who is worthy of praise so that he can be saved from his enemies and God getting to know and confessing the truth that opens up the power of his names within the heart of David provided God with a legitimate legitimate basis that he needed to use the power contained in the capabilities of his names to battle against the enemies of David to battle for our corrupt bodies to make them incorrupt to glorify them I love you Lord my strength the Lord is my rock my fortress and my deliverer my God is my rock in whom I take refuge my shield and the horn of my salvation my stronghold I called to the Lord who is worthy of praise and I have been saved from my enemies Psalm 18 1 through 4 and so let us together proclaim together united who God is for us in Jesus Christ and what he has done for us Lord you are my strength Lord you are my rock Lord you are my fortress Lord you are my deliverer Lord you are my rock in whom I take refuge Lord you are my shield Lord you are the horn of my salvation and Lord you are my stronghold may the Lord confirm this for us confirm it in our heart eternally and may he fulfill them within the time that he decides in a specific format as much as the Lord has allowed and according to the measure of our faith we already studied our inherited lot in Christ Jesus in the power of five names of God these are strength rock fortress deliverer and living rock and stop to study our unsearchable inheritance or our inherited lot in Christ Jesus contained in the name of God living shield because all of these names they are living considering that the given nature of prayer where David confesses his inherited lot in the eight names of God most high identifies the covenant that is made between God and man because in scripture the number eight means a covenant or identifies a covenant between God and man specifically in the eighth day a child was circumcised and he was given a name in that day the name was written into the book of life when a person was circumcised made a covenant with God when a person makes a covenant 
with God in the baptism of water, that's when his name is written to the, into the book of life. It's not at the time of repentance, but when he makes a covenant with God. Sometimes uh, preachers deceive the people, these unfortunate evangelists, that right now God has written your names. You repented, you, you, you prayed the prayer, and your name is now written into the book of life. They need to be taught that in order to enter that covenant, they need to be taught what that covenant is, what they're obligated to do, what their role is, and what God's role is. And only when they're taught, the scriptures say, teach, baptizing all the nations in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You need to teach them. And specifically here, God makes a covenant in the baptism of waters. Uh, before, baptism of water was the circumcision of the foreskin. And, of course, God demanded the circumcision of the heart. It was not enough to just circumcise the foreskin. Uh, he wanted that spiritual circumcision. God wanted a covenant and that it be in the heart of a person. Getting to know the eight names of God, which identify God's covenant with us, is the strategic teaching which has purpose to be the calling of every warrior in prayer, ones that have the virtue of kings, priests, and prophets, who are anointed to rule over their earthly body. Not the body of your neighbor, not your wife, not your children, not over the church, but yourself. If a person has not accepted, not has an understood or accepted the given to him anointing, anointing is power to govern your calling, govern, govern over your calling, which is your mortal body in the status of a king, priest, and prophet, so that you can change it into the status of a heavenly body, then this revelation that is purposed for worshiping God in prayer will not benefit him in any way. This means that a person does not understand what it means to worship in spirit and in truth. To worship in spirit and in truth is to fulfill God's will in prayer. This is to be vigilant over the words that are in our heart that God is vigilant over within our heart. The name of God's shield presented in Scripture as a living shield is heightened in Scripture or elevated for warriors in prayer as their military weaponry. And the purpose of such a shield is called by God to block us and protect us as warriors in prayer who battle for the interests of the will of God, and to give God the legitimate basis to stand at our right side as well as between us and our enemies, so that in the one and other situation He can take the hits that are directed at us by our enemies upon Himself, we need to fulfill specific conditions which will allow us to end up in that place and the right time where the power of the name of God and the virtue of His name, Living Shield, will receive the proper basis to stand between us and our enemies so that He can take upon Himself the hits that are directed at us by our enemies. And the angel of God who went before the camp of Israel moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud went from before them and stood behind them. So it came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel. Thus it was a cloud and darkness to the one, and it gave light by night to the other, so that the one did not come near the other all that night. Exodus 14, 19, 20, those Jews that did not believe God and did not put blood upon their doorposts, they 
God struck their firstborn. Uh, if you remember from cattle, man and cattle, God did not need to stand between them and the Egyptians because they were when they were in Egypt. But only when we began to cast off of ourselves our old man, casting of, off of ourselves is coming out of Egypt, out of slavery, because the old man he is governing sin and he is our husband, the one that governs within our body. He is our husband and so casting him off when he chases after us or pursues us then at this time the living shield God in the form of our living shield stands between us and our enemies so that we not come in contact with one another that we not be afraid because God is for us and when the enemy begins to stand or there's danger, God immediately stands between us and the danger that's uh, that's risen up upon the condition we're casting off of ourselves, our old man. Why does God not protect us? We pray and we shout, we say, Lord, help and save, but we're not leaving Egypt. The old man, we are not casting him off of ourselves. We we say, no, we have nothing's wrong, everything's good, everything's great. We don't have the old man in us. We don't have hell in us. Jesus only lives in me. That's what you'll hear people say. Who convinced these people, uh, unfortunately, that are outwardly possessed, that uh, the Holy Spirit or the Christ lives within them? When they were born again, their spirit was born, but their soul, as it was a cult, it still remains a cult. And their body, just as it was within sin and within the dependence of governing sin in them continues their genetical code the sinful uh, code continues to rule in them and someone convinced them that they don't have any of this consider yourself as not having any of this is what they were taught only if God tells you consider you not have this then that's when you need to consider it that way if you if he tells you proclaim the not existent as existent when you proclaim when you leave Egypt the problem is people are not explained what Egypt is what the old nature is how to cast him off of yourself and this is the most difficult thing to do because uh, the old old man uh, our emotions and our mind uh, belong to our old nature and to leave him is to submerge yourself into the death of the Lord Jesus so it can rise in a new form In the given circumstances, when the Egypt of our soul tries to return us or to take us back to slavery, when we are casting off of ourselves our old man, our new person collaborating with the name of God's shield will hear the noise of the pursuing enemy who is targeting him, the one that from whom he was initially delivered. The soul itself won't hear this. Our spirit will hear this. Because the fatal hit or blow that is directed against our liberty from sin falls upon Christ at this time, who will be taken from the earth and will be nailed to the cross. To free from sin, as it is written, I have become a stranger to my brothers and and an alien to my mother's children, because zeal for your house has eaten me up, and the reproaches of those who reproach you have fallen on me. The house here is us, is us ourselves. And the reproaches of those who reproach you have fallen on me. Uh, the Lord is reproached for this house. They say, 
what, you call this your house? You say they're pure and they're holy? You say that they don't have witchcraft? They're not, they don't have sorcery? And so they, the, Christ takes that upon himself. Why? Because they do have witchcraft and sorcery. Because they have their own opinions and they have their own minds uh, that they depend on. People are not subject, not obedient to the person whom God sent. They say, well, I thought this be this is this way. The Lord re- revealed something different to me. Uh, the Lord spoke to me. I responded. And so why do I need a pastor? Their uh, pastor is nothing more than someone they elect. And so he takes upon himself these hits, this reproach. God does not see at this time. God does not. God doesn't look at how the devil or the world thinks of us. He doesn't look at how our husband or wife think of us. He looks at how he himself sees us. He, it's not important to him the opinion of others, the way he thinks or his opinion of you, his thoughts of you. He looks at you when he looks upon Christ. He doesn't look at us independently from Christ. He looks at Christ, and in Christ, he sees us justified. Christ, as the cloud uh, walked uh, before, or or was with within with them before them, and they followed him, and the Lord did not see the sorcery and the witchcraft that was in Israel at the time. Balaam said, there's no witchcraft, there's no sorcery, and... David said, and others also, they came and brought out idols uh, from from Egypt and took them into the wilderness with them, but, and the Lord didn't see it. Why? Because he was looking at them through Christ, and looking, he looked at them through Christ. And why? Because this sorcery and this witchcraft he took upon himself. And so his resistance is when a person, or the person, a person's resistance uh, is, well, I have my own opinions and I don't agree with this. There needs to be one head, there needs to be a, a unity of mind and heart, and so that requires a uh, ability to obey and submit to one that God has sent to teach. Uh, and so some say, well, yeah, he's the pastor, uh, but that means nothing. I have my own Bible. They call God's book their own book as if his thoughts are written there. When we say, this, my Bible says this, that means that my thoughts are there. That's what, you, that's what that would mean. But you need to say it's God's Bible. It's not mine. It's God's book. It's God's Bible. Remember that, those who preach, and stop saying foolish things before God's nation. And so the quality and lexicon in identifying the name of God, shield, as with the previous names of God Most High, is not able to be found in any dictionary of the world, so to be our living shield so that he can take upon himself the hits of the vile curse that pursues us by the sinful seed of our fathers, this... In Hebrew, this name has these kinds of definitions. Protect and block us from the wrath of God. Protect and block us from the deception of the evil one. Protect and block us from the evil and slanderous tongue because millions have died or gone to hell. They die angry and bitter 
thinking they're going to heaven because they deep in their heart have offenses and, and bitterness in their heart. They could not forgive their parents. Almost all children are upset at their parents. 99 plus percent are upset at their parents. They think that their parents uh, punished them uh, unjustly, didn't love them the way they should, and didn't give them what they wanted. And so they all have this uh, in them. It's genetically they pass on this this uh, bitterness to their children. A husband upsets the wife. The wife upsets the husband. The parents speak, or the children uh, speak bad things at, uh, against their parents and the parents are angry how much I've done for this child and they're not grateful and they're not and they want the child to somehow repay what they've done stop expecting that true love does not uh, expect repayment it gives but it does not expect something in return it doesn't do it for that reason it does it because it loves when we understand what God's love is and how to love one another and how to forgive one another, that forgiveness is the discipline of the mind and heart. And we will forgive, then the devil will not have place in your house. Then he will be shaken from fear and shame. Protect us and block us from the curse of all nature of illness. Illness can pursue us <clears throat> but if we continue to stay calm and not blaming God and looking at for that this is because of sin that I'm sick, we wait for healing, but however he will do it, whether through using doctors or medicine or using the first uh, word, uh, form of his truth, his word, or the secondary, We are looking at ourselves in Jesus Christ as healed. Protect and block us from the curse of untimely, or, or protect and block us from the curse of poverty. And so, as it says in the Bible, that we have nothing but possess all things. Protect and block us from the curse of untimely or early death. And uh, then also the sinful life that was passed on to us from our fathers. Looking at this list, which contains such intervention from all nature of existing enemy, we, ought, we, as with the previous names of God Most High, have come to the necessity to study four classical questions which will allow us to learn the essence of our inheritance in the name of God living shield so that we can provide God with a foundation that He needs to use in battle for the adoption of our bodies. According to Scripture, what are the <clears throat> identifications and qualities of the name of God and the purpose of His glorious name, Shield? Second, what purpose, being in the role of our protector, did God allocate for Himself, and what role has He placed upon us? What conditions do we need to fulfill to provide God with the proper foundation He needs to allow us to enter into the unsearchable inheritance of His name in the virtue of a living shield of our faith? And fourth, by what signs do we examine ourselves as to whether we are truly collaborating our faith with the faith of God in the virtue of His name, living shield and not some kind of falsification or counterfeit form of it in scripture in a specific format we already looked at the first two questions and will immediately pay attention to and study question three what conditions do we need to fulfill to provide god with the proper foundation that he needs to allow us to enter the unsearchable or take part in the unsearchable inheritance 
of his name and the virtue of a living shield of our faith. I will remind us of the two components of the price that were subjects of our study in the previous service and will immediately turn to study the third component. First component, component of the price giving us power to the right to be partakers in the imperishable and unsearchable inheritance of Christ and God that contains that is contained in the power that is in the name of God's shield consists in fulfilling the condition, giving us the ability to worship the Heavenly Father in spirit and in truth. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship Him, John 4, 24, 23. Second component of the price, giving us the power to the right to partake of the imperishable and unsearchable inheritance of Christ and God contained in the power of the name of God's shield consists in the condition to accept the Gadites who came to us to the wilderness to present for us the power of the name of God and the virtue of our living shield. Some Gadites joined David. Gadites are descendants of Gad. The the Gadites, the the son of Jacob. Some Gadites joined David at the stronghold in the wilderness, mighty men of valor, men trained for battle, who could handle shield and spear, whose faces were like the faces of lions and were as swift as gazelles on the mountains they came to support David. Third component of the price giving us the power to take power to the right to partake of the imperishable and unsearchable inheritance of Christ and God contained in the power of the name of God's shield, taking the hits that are directed at us on himself, is called to consist, it consists in obtaining an upright, righteous heart before God. And so God will not protect a person that does not have a righteous heart. My defense is of God who saves the upright in heart, Psalm 710. Again, my defense is of God who saves the upright in heart, Psalm 710. And so they are in Christ, and he saves those who are righteous in heart. If you can't place yourself into Christ, Jesus, it's not possible to place yourself in Christ Jesus with, an, with not having a righteous heart. You need to have a righteous heart to be able to place yourself into Christ. And so, how do we obtain a righteous heart? We need to ask the question, how do we determine the righteousness of our heart? Or by what criteria and characteristics do we examine ourselves as to whether we do possess a righteous heart? Because according to the above, uh, to take part in the unsearchable inheritance of Christ and God contained in the power of the name of God's shield is possible only in one way, and this this is by the righteousness of our heart or by the means of the righteousness of the faith of our heart, this is the same thing. According to the revelations of Scripture, one of the components of the righteousness of the faith of our heart, providing God with the legitimate foundation that He needs, in the virtue of His name, shield, taking upon Himself the hits that are directed at us by our enemies, will make itself known in the temple of our body in the joyously burning lamp. The light of the righteous rejoices, but the lamp of the wicked will be put out, Proverbs 13.9, we need to determine whether we have a righteous heart or not. We need to give an identification, the characteristics of a righteous heart, what God uh, considers a righteous heart. The light of the righteous rejoices, but the lamp of the wicked will be put out. And so the lamp is the spirit of man, and it can, uh, as you remember, the five uh, unwise, their lamps began to dim. That means the life of God is dimming. The lamp... uh, uh, of is the spirit of man but if this uh, 
spirit begins to dim, that means the life begins to dim, life's God, uh, the life of God. And so if you remember in another place, it talks about how I will move its, your lamp from its place if you continue in this way. The phrase, the light of the righteous rejoices, testifies of the presence of the fruit of upright joy within the spirit of a righteous person, which is the quality and atmosphere identifying within the entrails of our spirit the order of the kingdom of heaven in the format of the fruit of the tree of life that is grown in the Eden of our heart, in which our spirit is clothed, grown into full measure of growth in Christ. But the fruit of the spirit, we grow ourselves into a tree of life that bears fruit, 12 times a year, each month, bearing its fruit. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And so, love, then joy. And so, if there's no joy, that means you don't have true love, agape, either. Galatians 5, 23. In this way, the component of the price of a righteous heart, giving us the power and the right to take part in the imperishable and unsearchable inheritance of Christ and God, contained in the power of His name, shield, is the condition to rejoice in God and rejoice about God. The Lord is my strength and my shield, my heart trusted in Him, and I am helped. Therefore my heart greatly rejoices, and with my song I will praise Him. Psalm 28.7 And so, if the Lord is our strength and shield, and our heart trusts in Him, a righteous heart will trust upon the Word of God, upon God Himself, and from this comes joy. When a person has this trust, from this comes joy. And so, a righteous heart always rejoices and has the great desire to praise God with a song. In the given place of Scripture, when it says heart, it is referring to the spirit of man belonging to his eternally abiding and incorrupt essence that although it is still growing and being perfected in God, can never become old or aging. The spirit of man as his body has the ability to see, hear, smell, and feel. It has the ability to tell also the difference in taste and can react to heat, cold, but only in the spiritual, invisible realm. And so the spirit of man can sorrow and be sad when the person himself is happy and is satisfied with personal success and power. And the opposite has the ability to rejoice when a person is in sorrow and sad. When, again, the spirit of man can be rejoicing when a person at this time could be in sorrow or sadness. Even in laughter, the heart may sorrow and the end of mirth may be grieved be grief Proverbs 14 13 the reason for such inadequacy comes from the fact that the born from the imperishable seed of the word spirit of man is inconsistent or constant fight with his flesh in which he is temporarily living and that limits his abilities for the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh and these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things you wish Galatians 5 17 you don't do the things you want to be doing. Even if you are on the side of the Spirit, you can't always do what your Spirit wants. Why? Because you haven't yet cast off your old man. When you will cast off the old man with his deeds, then you will do what you do want and not what governing sin that lives in our body, the old man wants. 
And so what our flesh rejoices about doesn't necessarily mean that our spirit is rejoicing about the same. The identification of joy itself that is experienced by the spirit when comparing to the flesh is different and incomparable. Joy itself, as it is identified, will be different. Earthly joy is in sensing things on the basis of the flesh and emotions of man. In his uplifted mood, in the experienced by man earthly pleasures that a person follows and man depends on as a drug. And so the entire industry of the world is mainly focused upon a distraction and different forms of entertainment where a person not have any time to think about how quickly his life is uh, is moving along and what's going on. He does not know that tomorrow he could die. He's not thinking about death, but the righteous constantly thinks about death because death with him, for him would be uniting with God, finally, uh, to be free of the body that's not allowing him to fully express himself as he wants to in spirit. But we're talking here about the deadness, and so blessed are those who are uh, who die in the Lord. They die uh, for sin. They, uh, they will experience bliss. Uh, even if he physically dies uh, after this, he will experience bliss because he died to, to sin. And so the fruit of upright joy that that identifies the righteous spirit of man consists in the discipline of the renewed mind and the wise heart that with wise and uh, reasonable abilities is able to control the emotions and is able to lead it to fulfill the interests of God. Our feelings are very, uh, feelings themselves are very, very betraying. It can uh, be that you are fulfilling God's will, but you don't feel anything. And so some people come to me and say, Pastor, what do I do? My feelings for my wife are gone. And so I asked him, well, are you being led by your feelings? Light them back up and lead them. Begin to tell your wife who she is for you, what she means to you, that she's your friend, whom God gave you. You found her in the nation of God, but you want to follow your feelings. I think married people have all experienced this kind of coldness of of feeling. And so what does the other side need to do? It says that you need to pursue your partner and awaken those emotions and feelings toward you. You need to always uh, inspire one another in that way. But right now we're not talking specifically about uh, marital partners. We're talking about the obligations of the church and, and, and God. It's one thing when a person is, is led by emotions in his relationship with his husband or wife but when he is being led by his emotions when it comes to God today I don't feel like going to church I have to find reasons not to go my head hurts or I'm not feeling too well or something's not just excuses 
And then you go and they went to the park, they went to the restaurant, they're just distracting themselves. Uh, this is just examples. There's many examples of what feelings, uh, how, how people are led by their feelings. Upright joy that comes from a righteous heart, it does not depend on these emotions that either are lifted up as a wave or are dropped and then rise up again. They lead these emotions, they control the emotions and direct them. And they lead them after themselves to fulfill God's will and His interests. And so the uh, element of upright joy is something that needs to be uh, for warriors in prayer. In their prayers, this needs to be a requirement for them and as strict as a military command would be. <clears throat> and so demonstrating upright joy in your prayer in all situations is the direct result of who this person that is praying is and his upright heart. If this, his state is uprightness, then uh, joy will be the direct result. Where there's the state of an upright heart, that is where the atmosphere of unearthly joy will be present. You always need to differentiate earthly or regular joy from upright joy or unearthly joy that in essence is supernatural as it has its roots, its wellspring and their beginning in God. God is very joyous by himself. If he uh, becomes saddened, the all of heaven will become will will turn into melancholy, literally. And will be overwhelmed. What can uh, interfere in God's joy? the evil thoughts of man. In the original it said, the God, when you remember he said that I, I, he, he regretted that he had made man, if you remember. And in the original it says that he was shaking with tears and he knew that he would destroy them. God created all of what was existing, not because uh, he wasn't uh, sat receiving pleasure from this. He was suffering because he saw evil continuously uh, and God destroyed saving eight people whose thoughts were as God's thoughts. And so these two forms of or qualities of joy are these two forms of joy are diametrically opposite and different in their origin as well as the in the way they demonstrate themselves considering the fact that the nature of joy that a person gives consideration to is the one that begins to rule within him and if we give consideration to earthly joy preference then it becomes the way, the thing that we measure our relationship with God with, and it also receives the foundation that or, or the ability to to oppress uh, unearthly joy. 
if we will give consideration or preference to upright joy or supernatural joy, heavenly joy, that is within our upright heart, then it will be the way in which the method by which we measure our or the level of our spirituality in God. Heavenly joy, unlike earthly joy, will not oppress earthly joy, but will actually balance it out and will develop it and will lead it uh, properly or correctly. God is not against earthly joy. He wants unearthly joy would lead earthly joy. Earthly joy uh, uh, suppresses uh, uh, heavenly joy, but heavenly joy does not suppress or oppress it. It actually balances out and leads it, uh, heavenly joy. A person is created in such a way that when he physically rejoices, he something happens within his body, his system, that begins to destroy uh, illnesses. And, uh, and so when the doctors finally understood this, they began to heal people with laughter. And they succeed in this. They convince people not to think of evil things and not be sorrowful. If if you were offended, they tell them, don't hold this in your heart. It's not beneficial for you. Why do you need to die because of someone who offended you? They offended you. You carry this offense and it kills you. You need to not have it in you and not be uh, upset. And so they convince this person it's ba- that it's bad for him to be upset and bitter. And he begins, with the discipline of will and mind, he begins to remove these things and begins not paying attention to that. Yes, they did it, they did it, I won't pay attention to it. Otherwise, if I begin to become angry because of this, these these people, they often develop cancer, their stomach begins to hurt, their heart begins to hurt because they're uh, angry. This is a form of evil. This is a, a net of the devil. That's why many people will be in hell. They don't understand how to be free from this uh, bitterness. I want to forgive, but I can't. It's not forgiving because they weren't taught. Uh, It's not something you look at emotionally. You make the decision. I forgive this person in the name of Jesus Christ. I use my mind and will. And then you say to the Lord, Lord, I fulfilled your will. I forgave this person who offended me. And this can come, uh, this may need, need to happen a couple of times because it sometimes re, uh, comes back to you as a wave would and you need to keep reconfirming the fact that you've forgiven this person. You uh, you don't allow then hatred to develop within you because the, the flesh wants to avenge you and you don't give it that. And so joy that is even earthly heals a person. And especially heavenly joy, unearthly joy, it is not against earthly joy, it just balances out and heavenly joy says, I will go ahead and you follow me uh, where I will take you. Rejoice in the Lord and because of the Lord. Don't. Why do you need to be upset? Yes, you were robbed, but do you not know that you have so much on your account that all the world with all of its wealth is nothing and what they... Uh, and actually everything they stole from you belongs to you. Although you don't have it now, it's still belongs to you but a person doesn't want to agree with that they say well when I feel it in my pocket then I will know but I tell such pastors because I had with them 
specific conversations, uh, they say, you, you're so wise and you say such things, they tell me. When I, I announce something by faith, not when I want to, but if I received a revelation, I will never say this is mine unless I received a revelation for that. When I said that this is our house of prayer, the Lord told me in my heart, this is your house of prayer and I want you to proclaim it your own, and, uh, before announce it before the church. And I said in the name of Jesus Christ, I proclaim this house of prayer to be ours. And we had just come. We did not have any money. That The house of prayer was a, a million dollars, and we had no money. We, someone, some only uh, was just seeking, searching for jobs and, and getting work. Uh, we didn't have that money. But the Lord said, proclaim it. And it was it was interesting that he prompted me at the time when I when I was speaking uh, speaking of us not having anything but possessing all things and nine months later it became our house of prayer that it actually came came about what what God had promised and so a righteous heart that possesses joy can do a lot with a person it can lead this earthly joy it won't destroy it it will lead it. For example, the 70 returned, 70, uh, it says, Then the 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. This was earthly joy they had, their earthly joy. They were so glad that when they began to tell the demons in the name of Jesus Christ, come out, they would leave people until this time before Christ. No one was freed from demons. There are many people that were possessed, but not one prophet uh, rebuked demons. Not Samuel, not Elijah, not one of the prophets rebuked demons. This was given to the New Testament prophets. And the first prophet of the New Testament was the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who is the Son of Man, who began to rebuke demons. And this shocked the Jews and the Pharisees and Sadducees. How is it that he's, he's rebuking demons? The demons are obedient, the winds are obedient, the waves are obedient. Who is this person? They were afraid because of his authority. Who gave you that authority? And Christ said to his students, I give you authority to trample upon all uh, powers of darkness, not, not to bind it, but to stand upon it. We need to bind our old man. But demons that are on earth, you need to uh, rebuke them and drive them and drive them out. And so they rejoice and they said, "Lord, the demons are, are subject to us in your name." They came and see what he says here, what Jesus says. He said to them, "I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven." I overcame him, I cast him out of heaven, I saw how he as lightning was thrown out. And so I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions, that's how he called all forms of demons, serpents and scorpions, and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall be by any means hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Luke 10, uh, 10, 17 through 20. You see how people rejoice about healing, about rebuking of demons. 
But the scriptures say we need to rejoice that our names are written into the book of life because the result that demons are subject to us is because our names are written into the book of life in heaven. If they would not have been written in heaven, then our demons would not have obeyed us. When the seven sons of the high priest Siva wanted to rebuke demons, when they saw how Paul was rebuking them in the name of Jesus, they made the decision to do it also. And so they came into a house where there was a possessed person. person. Seven people came into this house. These were the, the children of a high priest, and they s- said the name in the name of the Jesus that Paul preaches, come out. And he laughed in their face and said, wow, who am I hearing this from? Who are you? I know Jesus and I know Paul too, but who are you? The name of Paul is written in heaven, and if it's written in heaven, it is also known in hell that the name of this person is written in heaven. He has authority, but who are you? And he took such power over them. He undressed all of them beat them and they ran out of there naked and this became known in all the surrounding areas and the name of the lord was glorified and so looking at the uh, above mentioned definitions identifying the quality of the fruit of upright joy identifying a righteous heart it is not possible to examine it or experience it upon the level of our physical abilities. As unlike earthly joy, it is not an emotional thing or some kind of feeling that lifts our mood. Supernatural joy in the format of the fruit of our spirit is the discipline of the renewed mind and wise heart that creates peace in a person as it balances, controls, and leads his emotional horse under a bridle. She has, the righteous heart has a gentle uh, mouth. The lamp is burning and the emotional horse is being led. And so such an unearthly joy is one of the unearthly qualities of the name of God, of God as well as the qualities of the born from him children. Uh, this, un, uh, this unearthly joy can be received in no other way but in the seat of the word of grace in the individual Holy Spirit. And so the groan in the groan from an imperishable seed or in us imperishable seed by the means of the discipline of the will, mind and heart uh, will then direct us or will continually abide within us uh, this word of God in the Holy Spirit. And so you know that sometimes a situation will arise, somebody was happy, rejoicing, and someone says something and they can become really upset, everything's ruined, and they their whole entire mood was uh, was was just changed. Uh, but unearthly joy is not like this. Uh, you you nothing can uh, interrupt it or somehow change it like like earthly joy. If you remember, as you'll have this confidence that cannot be uh, broken as it is like David when he killed Goliath. And they were these giants within the eyes of the Israelite people were as locusts. And 
if you remember David and Goliath, he told him that you are not a dog, you're worse than a dog. And he, David, he had taken these five stones, he, t- he took them from a stream. The stream is this joy, the Holy Spirit flowing water. This is the Holy Spirit. And five, acknowledging over yourself God's delegated authority. <clears throat> and this was his father because he tended the flocks of his father, the thoughts of his father. And he struck uh, the giant with the stone, if you, as you know, and he removed then his head. <clears throat> this is how unearthly joy <clears throat> works. It goes and it knows that it will overcome. There's no other power that can resist it. This joy has such boldness and such uh, confidence that is in Jesus Christ in his death where he uh, destroyed death and he resurrected. And so unearthly joy uh, is unlike earth. Uh, unearthly joy is not like earthly joy. Earthly joy is subject to continual uh, change and always depends on whether you're satisfying your desires or not. And so if you read in Job 25 that the triumphing of the wicked is short and the joy of the hypocrite is but for a moment. And so yes, they're happy but only for a moment. Apostle Paul talking about people with an unclean heart that were uh, presenting uh, earthly joy as a form of their godliness as people did then they do that today also he said lament and mourn and weep let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom James 4 9 the result of earthly joy and earthly glad earthly joy and earthly gladness that people prefer uh, over heavenly joy God will bring people to judgment for that. Rejoice, O young men, in in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and in the sight of your eyes, but know that for all these, God will bring you to judgment. Ecclesiastes 11.9 And so relevant to this, we have talked about the fact that, according to Scripture, unearthly joy is identified and is expressed in love for righteousness in seeking the kingdom of heaven and also hating lawlessness and the and the carriers of lawlessness. <clears throat> Unearthly joy is love for God and hatred for lawlessness. You loved righteousness and hated lawlessness, therefore God your God has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. Hebrews one nine. <clears throat> also written in the forty forty <clears throat> fifth Psalm. Who does the Lord anoint with the oil of gladness, the one that hates lawlessness and loves righteousness? To love righteousness is possible, and the carriers of righteousness and to hate lawlessness can only happen in the to hate lawlessness and carriers of lawlessness. Because righteousness and lawlessness, as it were, a program can't exist uh, independently. It has to be within, within a programmable system, a person. And so this discipline of the oil of gladness as a price giving us the God the ability to stand betwe- between us and our enemies uh, in the form of our uh, our living shield who takes upon himself the hits that are directed at us by our enemies. And so this discipline of the oil of gladness is called to help us to open up and get to know in our essence the eternal, uh, eternally present uh, mystery of God. 
And so the component of the quality of the fruit of, right, of an upright joy grown in the Eden of our heart as a condition giving God the proper foundation to demonstrate himself in the name of our shield, will we will find this in his glorious name of uh, the glorious name of our Heavenly Father, his name Joy. As we've been talking about joy, then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy, and on the harp I will praise you, O God my God, Psalm 43.4. And so they, uh, the translators didn't realize it, but this was actually the joy that's here where it says, then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy, the joy that was written here was actually God's name, joy. The next component of the quality of the fruit of upright joy, identifying our righteous heart, which provides God with a legitimate foundation to demonstrate himself in the name living shield, is the atmosphere of our heart where God abides. Honor and majesty are before him, strength and gladness are <coughs> in his place. <coughs> First Chronicles 16.27 If that undamaged truth is in the heart and the Holy Spirit who reveals the meaning of this truth, then upon this place there will be uh, this majesty and gladness, this strength and gladness. And so, The next component of the quality of the fruit of upright joy, identifying our righteous heart, which provides God with a legitimate foundation to demonstrate himself in the name living shield, is one of three components that identify the kingdom of God inside of us, inside of a person of God. Romans 14, 17, for the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit, Romans 14, 17. And so again, joy, one of the three components that identify the kingdom of heaven, righteousness, peace, and joy. They don't work one without the other. They are components that are united. They come from righteousness. In the beginning, for the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy. And so righteousness is with peace as we know and it has joy because it has the love of God agape and so unearthly joy in this place is an all-capturing delight gladness triumph a festive feast celebration victory a balance of all perfection <clears throat> an ultra satisfying desire and absence of sorrow in other words speaking unearthly joy that we're talking about is the quality and demonstration of the great uh, grace of God. The next component of the quality of the fruit of upright joy, identifying our righteous heart, which provides God with the legitimate foundation to demonstrate himself in the name Living Shield, is presented in our membership to the elevation of Mount Zion in the form of the body of Christ. Beautiful in elevation, the joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion on the side of the north, the city of the great king. Psalm 48.2 <clears throat> And so a true church Zion, the good wife her lamp burns brightly, joyously she will have this unearthly joy and the scriptures say this is the joy of the whole earth 
this joy comes for the whole body, it comes from there. When we have this Mount Zion and we are partakers of such a wife, such a good wife, then in our heart, this will be Mount Zion. This is our partaking, our membership to the body of Christ, and it will bring joy to the whole earth for our whole body, for our whole system. And also brings healing, as we talked about. The next component of the quality of the fruit of upright joy, identifying our righteous heart, or by which we can determine that we have an upright heart or a righteous heart, which provides God with a legitimate foundation to demonstrate himself in the name living shield, will make itself known in the cornerstone when building our salvation. And so how can we determine that we have this, that our salvation is built upon the cornerstone, that the foundation of our salvation is the cornerstone? And this can be determined by the joy that comes from there. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know, or who stretched the line upon it? To what were its foundations fastened, or who laid its cornerstone, when the morning stars sang together, and all the sons of God shouted for joy? Job 38, 4-7. If you remember, we talked about this place of scripture that when he told Job, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined this measurements? Tell me if you know. Who stretched the line upon it? To what, what words foundations fastened or who laid its cornerstone? And so this earth is not upon... The, the planet Earth is not founded upon the cornerstone. It is our body that's founded upon the cornerstone. It's not talking about when all of the sons of God shouted for joy, but there were no sons of God, of God yet when God was creating the Earth because angels are not sons of God. These, were, these are spirits. They can't be sons. Sons are those whom God has bore, but they are created. They're not born. They're creation. They cannot be sons of God. And so, why were the sons of God shouting for joy? Because the scriptures say, when uh, one sinner repents, then the angels rejoice in heaven and all the church rejoices. That's when the sons of God shout for joy. When uh, the cornerstone is placed into the foundation. And it's not when a person is baptized by the Holy Spirit, when a person receives salvation. When he receives the baptism of the Holy Spirit, he doesn't receive joy, he receives power. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. But when you receive salvation, you receive joy, uh, the joy of salvation, as it's written in Scripture. This thought is very well reflected in the parable of the treasure that's hidden in a field. This is the promise belonging to his body. He finds within his heart, within his body, a promise, this is his field, and he finds it there that this promise that belongs to his body and his body will be adopted by the redemption of Christ and uh, corruption will will be replaced with incorruption. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. 
which a man found and hid, and for joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Matthew 13, 44. And so to redeem your body, you need to pay the price of your life, uh, sell all that you have. You can lose your nation, the house of your father, and your uh, life in the fl- or fleshly life or uh, sinful way of life. And we obtain then this field. We, for the sake of this field, have done this. Why? Because we found treasure in that field. But it's in that field and we need it. We, he doesn't purchase the treasure s- separately. It's hidden in the field and he purchases this field for the sake of the treasure that's there. And so, to obtain redemption for your body, we know we need to cast off of ourself our old man, renew our mind, and then begin to confess the non-existent stronghold of life as existent. That's what it's referring to. The next component of the quality of the fruit of upright joy, identifying our righteous heart, <clears throat> or by which we can determine our righteous heart, which provides God with a legitimate foundation to demonstrate himself in the name living shield is for us to and so this quality of the fruit of upright joy is for us as strength or the strength of God in the form of the feast Pesach Nehemiah 8.10 then he said to them go your way eat the fat drink the sweet and send portions to those for whom nothing is prepared for this day is holy to our Lord do not sorrow for the joy of the Lord is your strength and so communion is called to be joy for us it is called to strengthen us if you will eat and drink you will have life in yourself why do people sorrow during the time of uh, communion and they sing sad songs I remember I could never understand in myself why during communion they always became so saddened and it, it says one thing in scripture but it was completely the opposite people didn't understand that this was actually strength for them they didn't understand what taking part in the body of Christ meant uh, how to understand it and so when the priests saw that the people were crying during the Passover because they didn't have it for a long time, they were in, in slavery, they returned, and finally the Passover, people began crying. And the priest told the people, stop crying, what are you doing? They became afraid. This is a day of joy and gladness. This is not a day of sorrow. This is strength for you. And so when you have this component, then you have a righteous heart if communion for you is a celebration. The next component of the quality of the fruit of upright joy, by which we can determine that we have a righteous heart, which allows God to demonstrate himself in the name living shield, will keep us or protect us from falling. If we have this joy that comes from a righteous heart, it will keep us from falling. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, our manifestation, Jude 1.24. God will place us before his glory faultless because of this upright joy. 
Blemish and joy is a stain, something that's unclean. A person who's not freed from such blemish in joy or other characteristics will not be allowed to take part in the holy and new Jerusalem. But there shall by no means enter anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life, Revelations 21:27. Therefore, the presence of the element of unearthly joy in prayer will determine whether will de, uh, depend will determine then our present and future. Because you did not serve the Lord your God with joy and gladness of heart for the abundance of everything, therefore you shall serve your enemies whom the Lord will send against you in hunger and thirst and nakedness and in need of everything, and he will put a yoke of iron on your neck until it has destroyed you. Deuteronomy 28, 47, 48. The next component of the quality of the fruit of upright joy by which we can determine we have a righteous heart, which allows God to take the hits of our enemies upon himself, is called to be for us a supernatural medicinal substance. Earthly joy partly heals people. Imagine how supernatural joy will work. A merry heart does good like medicine, but a broken spirit dries the bones. Proverbs 17.22 Sometimes we sing the song, Why do you continue to be sad? in heart. A merry heart, this is a joyously burning lamp. This is medicine. God will medicate us or heal us, illnesses that attack us, different uh, infections that might be attacking us will die. The next component of the quality of the fruit of upright joy, identifying our righteous heart, which provides God with a legitimate foundation to demonstrate himself in his name living shield, taking the hits upon us that are directed upon himself, directed at us by our enemies, is called to clothe us or is called to clothe those who hate us with shame. He will yet fill your mouth with laughing and your lips with rejoicing. Those who hate you will be clothed with shame and the dwelling place of the wicked will come to nothing. Job 8, 21, 22. See what God will do with this joy. Joy is the all-armor of God. Why, when the armies came and the armies were larger than them and God gave them wisdom, they put the priests ahead of themselves and they began to praise God and lift God up and rejoice. And when they began doing this, God immediately showed himself. And they, Israel, received complete victory. He uh, pretty much, he, he stirred up a disagreement between one of the enemies with the other, between each other. And they, uh, and so they, uh, Israel, was coming with, with triumph and, and the priests ahead of them and the uh, wicked were, were gone because they had destroyed themselves. The next component of the quality of the fruit of upright joy, identifying our righteous heart, or by which we can determine our righteous heart, which provides God with a legitimate foundation to demonstrate himself in the name of li- in his name living shield, taking the hits of our enemies upon himself, is called to make itself known in the sermon about salvation within the realm of Zion. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings. Mountains are promises. 
Some people have this physical imagine, image of a person walking on mountains, but mountains here are God's promises, as well as a person of God, whom God has uh, lifted up in Christ Jesus. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who proclaims peace, who brings glad tidings of good things, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. Isaiah 52, 7. Isaiah 12, 3 through 5. Also, therefore with joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation, and in that day you will say, Praise the Lord, call upon His name, declare His deeds among the peoples, make mention that His name is exalted, sing to the Lord, for He has done excellent things, this is known in all the earth. Joy because of salvation this is such a joy that can't be withheld when he finds when you find a lost sheep because she lost salvation but he finds it again this lost sheep he finds her uh, the sheep thought she had no forgiveness because many are convinced that for this sin there you will not be forgiven I've asked these people do you want for salvation they say yes and I told them remember the wicked doesn't want salvation. He considers himself already saved. But when a person suffers because of sin and wants salvation, but he's been convinced that he has no salvation, if he wants it, that means there is salvation for him. God takes him and he returns him. He leaves the 99 and goes, looks for the one, and he rejoices because he found that lost sheep. And the heavens rejoice more about the this lost sheep that has, that's been returned than the 99 that are already there. There's a great joy. God uh, sets up a banquet because of one person who repents, not a person that came from the world, but a person that was in the church, but because of specific reasons became upset or became tempted or was fo- followed his lusts and then came back. The Holy Spirit is always with him and telling him quietly, there is a way out of this. You can come back, you can repent, and God will put you back in your place. This is great joy. The next component of the quality of the fruit of upright joy, identifying or det- by which we can determine our righteous heart, which provides God with a legitimate foundation to demonstrate himself in the name living shield, taking upon himself the hits that are directed at us by our enemies, is called to make itself known with the voice of joy and fleeing from Babylon. And when you flee from Babylon, you absolutely will have joy. Go forth from Babylon, flee from the Chaldeans with a voice of singing, declare, proclaim this, utter it to the end of the earth. Say, the Lord has redeemed his servant Jacob, Isaiah forty-eight twenty, from the power of Babylon. Babylon is the mixture of human interpretations with God's revelations. Going out or exiting Babylon is cleansing God's revelations from the chaff of the flesh. Considering that our time is up for today, we will bend our knees and our heads and pray. And may the Lord bless us. And we will thank God that He today has presented for us the characteristics of of our righteous heart in upright joy. May the Lord bless us. Amen. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we are 
thankful to your holy name for this upright joy that our lamp burns joyously that we have this joy in our heart and no one can take it from us although there are temptations and things that happen in our life losses that we experience in this life they can't take this upright joy from us that comes from our righteous heart we thank you that we can accept this word and by accepting this word we can determine that we have a righteous heart we can be vigilant in prayer so that this joy can shine greater and greater so that it as shine like the light that comes up at twilight may the Lord be blessed who hears our words may the words that you say be a comfort for the people and bring joy to the people and may it be upon your sons and daughters your glory and your favor we worship before you our great God Son and Holy Spirit Amen our Father in heaven hallowed be your name your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and do not lead us into temptation but deliver us from the evil one for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever amen before we finish and proclaim our unchanging manifestation I want to call out our saints Thomas and Lena they want to become members of the church they wanted to do it immediately but I told them you know attend the church for three months we do this for all people so that they feel out the atmosphere and if suddenly they may want to go somewhere else so that there not be any issue with this we asked them to attend for three months and they did and they wanted to become members sooner but the time has finally come and so right now we will stretch our right hand and we will bless them and will accept them as members Heavenly Father in the name of Jesus Christ we thank you for the saints may they be blessed before your face we accept them we receive them uh, into this uh, army may they be blessed and may they be a blessing for your nation and may the nation be a blessing for them may they uh, bear with us losses and sorrow and as well as great joy may they be blessed before your face now and forever amen thank you you congratulate you you are now members and now let us together proclaim our unchanging manifestation now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy to God our Savior who alone is wise be glory and majesty dominion and power both now and forever amen